I learned actually both through practicing Zen as well as therapy together was the beginning of and continues to be the most important way of learning how to be still in the midst of fear and being courageous in the midst of discomfort and for discomfort and awkwardness to not be places of turning away. But of actually, I think what I learned the most and continue to learn is like, those are the places where I'm going to grow the most. If I can learn how to bear it. And what I found is that the more I learned how to bear it, what seemed terrifying suddenly didn't have much power. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis-Marmet. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello and welcome back to the Art of Living Well podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Before we dive into our episode, a couple of quick announcements. One, we want to let you know that our next liver detox is going to be the 14-day liver detox that we've done the last couple of years in January. And we're working on incorporating some new elements, potentially guest speakers to the program. So if you've done our detox before, and if you have any suggestions on new components or learnings that you'd like to see included, please reach out and let us know. We've been running these programs for over three years, and we want to continue to meet you, our fabulous listeners, where you're at on your health journey. And this detox will kick off on Sunday, January 7th. We love the 14 days this time of year. You can start to incorporate additional foods the second week if you'd like, but that gives you that extra week of support and accountability to reset and establish potentially some new habits. So click the link in our bio to learn more, head on over to our website. And really this 14 days is the perfect way to kick off the new year after a fun holiday season. And what better way to prioritize your health and longevity than with a group of like-minded individuals who will support you along the way. We hope to see you come January. And then finally, if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love it for you to take two minutes, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. Of course, tag us on social media with any episodes that you've been enjoying, including today's, and share these with friends, family members, or anyone who you think may benefit from the information. And now for today's wonderful guest. We are very excited to introduce Koshin Paley Ellison and Chodo Robert Campbell. So Koshin is an author, a Zen teacher, a psychotherapist, certified chaplaincy educator. And after many years as a chaplain and psychotherapist, Koshin co-founded the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care, which offers contemplative approaches to care through education, personal caregiving, and Zen practice. Koshin is a world-renowned thought leader in contemplative care. He is the author of Untangled, Walking the Eightfold Path to Clarity, Courage, and Compassion, along with several other books. And Chodo is a dynamic, grounded, and visionary leader and teacher who also co-founded the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care. Together, Koshin and Chodo have created a center whose methodologies are rooted in the teachings of Zen and Buddhist practices and are internationally recognized and have touched the lives of tens of thousands of individuals. This is really such a powerful conversation that we have with Koshin and Chodo. And in this episode, you're going to learn what is a Zen monk and how they are human just like us, including their love of Starbucks and Apple products. We'll talk about what it means to be tangled, which is all the ways that we bind ourselves up in our fears and unhelpful stories and our self-created clouds of confusion. 
You're going to learn about the difference between a Zen practice and a meditation practice and really how to incorporate more Zen moments throughout the day. We'll go and dive into the book that Koshin wrote recently, Untangled, and we'll talk about what tangled means and how to take responsibility for untangling to build your story. And there's so many like practical tips and strategies that are woven in throughout this episode. Koshin and Chodo talk about how to be still in the midst of fear and why it's so important to face our fear and feel the discomfort in order to grow and how we can meet our fear with courageous compassion in order to show up fully in our lives. We also talk about the loneliness epidemic and the value of community and what it means to be a true friend and why being in a relationship and really truly getting to know someone and understanding who they are as a person is essential to flourishing. And one of the most important points we touch on towards the end of the conversation is how we are all the same at our core. And while we may be different and have different beliefs on certain things, we are all the same. So be curious about another person, whether it's the person making your coffee or checking you out at the supermarket, ask them questions about their life and how they feel. This is quite a profound conversation about the art of living an untangled life. So without further ado, let's jump right into this episode with Koshin and Chodo. Have you ever skipped a workout because of drinks the night before? Me too. If you're committed to your healthy routine this year, you need Z-Biotics. Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Z-Biotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut, where you need it most. Just remember to drink Z-Biotics before drinking alcohol. Drink responsibly and get a good night's sleep to feel your best tomorrow. The first time I tried Z-Biotics was before a 50th birthday party for a friend. As instructed, I drank a bottle of Z-Biotics before the alcohol, and I was amazed at how awesome I felt the next day. Head on over to zbiotics.com slash A-O-L-W to get 15% off your first order when you use A-O-L-W at checkout. You can also sign up for a subscription using our code, so you can stay prepared no matter the time or occasion. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Zbiotics is perfect for a night out celebration or an upcoming holiday. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/aolw and use the code AOLW at checkout for 15% off. Good morning, Koshin and Chodo. We are so excited to have you on our show today. We love having like-minded guests on the show. And you guys, we we really haven't jumped into the topic of what we're going to discuss today. So again, welcome. And um, before we do dive in, one question that we love to ask all of our guests is, what is your non-negotiable to start every day? So mine is before I open my eyes, I always think of five things that I'm grateful for in my life. And to me, that's non-negotiable. I exercise every morning, non-negotiable. I sit meditation, zazen every morning. And before I leave the house, I hold Jodo's face and tell him how much I love it before I go. Non-negotiable. That's so sweet. That's beautiful. Yeah. How about you, giggle pants? <laughs> <laughs> My non-negotiable is uh, in the morning, walking into the living room and turning on New York One. It drives me crazy. And I love the weather. I love listening to Anna Pergamon. I love, I love the whole thing about New York One. Um, and he says, I want to get to sit so I take my morning and say, say how I know what's going on in New York City where we live. Um, so that's my non, that's one of my non-negotiables. And um, yeah, the non-negotiable is that he does say goodbye to me and he does let me see that face. And uh, if he forgets Ramona, shout, Coach, where are you going? 
because oh sorry honey <laughs> um so that's our non that's our non-negotiables in the mornings anyway <laughs> so this is for you both Koshin and Jodo um everyone has a story and we'd love for you guys to share yours in a nutshell um, your personal journey about how you became Zen monks and ultimately founded New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care, right in New York City. So there's the nutshell story is I grew up in a very chaotic and violent home and and really looking for stillness and looking for other models for how to be in life. And so when I was eight years old, I was laying on a carpet with my grandfather and we're looking through a National Geographic and there was a, you know, there, at that time there would be lost native tribes very often. And this one time there was a profile of a city called Tokyo and I was just amazed. I remember turning the page and I still remember the smell of the magazine and there was this picture of this man wearing this large bamboo hat, which is called an Ariragasa hat. And you could, so you could just see his mouth and he had a slight smile wearing robes. And everyone, he was completely in focus and everyone else in the photo was blurred. And so it was this really poignant moment of recognition and I was so drawn in. I remember reading the caption, Zen Buddhist monk in Tokyo. And I remember thinking, I want to be that when I grow up. And because it was this stillness, of course, I understand more now what I was seeing in retrospect, but really seeing that, wow, you could be content and still and part of things, even when everything around you is blurred and not making sense. So I would say like that was the main kind of a crystallized moment yeah which at a young age like that's so unusual that like yeah. like you don't hear about many kids saying i want to be a zen buddhist monk when i grow up like that's, that's... and then i did you know and then you did right, right. like which is even cooler it's amazing how about you um well i also grew up in a very chaotic violent uh home well violent homes um, my mother was 17 when she had me, and uh, she never uh, married. She also had two other kids. but um, So we were always on the road, as it were, never really securing one home. And it was so chaotic. Her, her, her men tended to be violent and alcoholics, as she was. And so there was no clear path for me in my life. I grew up, as I said, with a crazy childhood, and I became an addict and an alcoholic myself. By the time I was 16, I was addicted to amphetamines. And I did a series of geographics. I lived in Israel, I lived in Spain, Amsterdam, uh, Israel. Um, and so it was a, it, throughout my life, there was no settled place to be, which is, you know, this is exactly like my childhood. And then I came to, eventually came to New York in 1983. And I, was, I got sober, I was sober for five years. And I met a woman who actually who actually turned out to be a, a Buddhist monk also, a Buddhist nun. And uh, she said, you know, I said, I have no, we had this conversation. I said, I have no idea. In a hallway. And in a hallway. I said, I have no idea who I am. You know, I was a child. I was incested. I was beaten. I became a drunk. Yada, 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 yeah. all this stuff. And she said, where are you right now? And I said, what do you mean? She said, right now, where are you? I said, well, I'm standing here in front of you. She said, right. You know what you need to do? I said, well, she said you need to shut up. I said, what? She said, well, you're living out of your stories. And it's not that those stories didn't happen. But right now, in this moment, you have an opportunity to let that go. And not so much let it go like it didn't happen, but allow it to find a space in your body or in your, in your um, psyche that's not constantly erupting. And I said, I don't know how to do that. She said, well, I can show you. I have a zendo, and why don't you come and sit on the cushion? Hmm. So I had no idea what she was saying. So I went along, and I went to the zendo, and she was partly on the cushion, and she said, okay, sit there. And uh, that was the first time I felt safe and at home. And I just started bawling. And she said, sit there until you stop crying. And so it took me about, about three hours, four hours. Wow. And then she said, come back tomorrow. 
And then I came back and I came back and I came back, and that was 20 years ago. No, I mean, we've known each other about 30 years ago. Almost 30 years ago. Yeah. And well, so it's, I was just going to say, it's so amazing that you like just like came upon her and then you took her up on, you know, her suggestion and kept doing it. Like you could have just gone, been like, oh, that lady's crazy and walked the other way and out the door you went, right? Yeah, well, what I'm. It was, it was very, at the very moment that we, I met her, it was very clear to me that, that my life was about to change. Mm -hmm. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. That's exactly. what keeps coming to my head <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And she's still my teacher today. She's 94. Wow. Yeah. So I know she in New York. Like... I like want to come back. <laughs> yeah, she's out on Long Island. She's uh, amazing. She's, you know, beginning to behave like a 94 year old now. <laughs> But she, you know, she's fabulous. Yeah. So as we're just kind of dabbling and talking about this a little bit, can you guys explain to our listeners, like, what is a Zen monk, first of all? What, is, what does that even mean? Because I think there's people that don't know. And then what is a modern day monk? Like, mm. and maybe it's the same. Mm -mm. I don't well, think it is, but. <laughs> for me, it means that living your life by a vow of service and so that i make my decisions for and through the community so like being of service so really thinking about how i spend time how because actually that's the deep question we all have to answer is what are we doing with our time and because that's really who we are our actions and so for me, a monk is someone who, like, that is the clear priority. And at this, it's like the center pole of a great tent, where my vow of service and being of use and how I orient what I say, what I do, and is all through the practice and seeing everything as an opportunity to practice. Um. I'm not sure that, I, that there's that big a difference between a modern-day monk and, say, a traditional monk in the 12th century Japan. Because, as Koshin said, it's a big, for me and for Koshin too, it's about being of service in the world, um, being of service to others, and selflessness. You know, and it's not about me, 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 me. You know, there's, there's, it's about seeing the other as us. You know, when we, when we separate from other folks, you know, they're not me, I'm not them, then we're in trouble. When we're able to see that we're all part of the one, I, I don't see you as a separate person. I see you as part of the, the great universe. And we're both playing a part in that. Um, I think one of the main differences is that we live in skyscrapers here in Manhattan. And in Japan, they're still living in temples. You know? But the, the well, our temples in a loft. Our, our temples in a loft, right? Now, yeah. <laughs> um, but as I said, at the core of it, there's not much difference. You know, the, mm. the ethics are the same. Service model is the same. Yeah. I think you just like really humanize the definition of a monk because I think sometimes we do just have that vision or you know something that we read or something that we saw many years ago. Like you said, you have to take a vow of silence and you can't have a partner or whatever it is. I know there's different types of monks, but you know it just seems more real. Like you're mm -hmm. just like us. You go to Starbucks, like we talked about in the morning and you get your, you know, triple espresso or whatever it was. I've forgotten already um, in the morning. And I know even in the book, Koshin, you talk about like oh, loving Apple products and things like that. So you're, you know, real humans just yeah. like us. Right. <laughs> but especially now, and I know you we will dive in and talk about the book a bit. You do kind of discuss like the current state of the world. And just like you said, like, seeing others as us. And if we all saw others as us, wow, what a different world we'd be living in right now, right? Especially to, in today's world, right? Where yes. everyone's so polarized. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and Koshan, I just keep thinking about the story you told about the geographic image that you saw as a child where the monk was like, you know, clear and there was all this stuff going on in the blur in the background. And that, I mean, I'm thinking about the two of you in New York city and you guys are sitting there and you're very calm, but you're still, you're, there's a lot of laughter. And I mean, I can just see in your presence, like how relaxed you both are. And, um, 
and you're in one of the busiest cities in the world. Yeah, don't be fooled. I get, <laughs> I get, I get crazy. I'm like the roadrunner. I mean, <laughs> even though in my life, I don't know where I'd be right now because I am constantly it's like a chicken. Constantly on the move. Like, so like uh, uh, ADHD, it's like, I'm all, you know, I, I'm like, can I do, uh, I have to do 50 things at once. I can't do just one thing. Like if I'll be cleaning out the kitchen cabinets, well, I'll go to the kitchen cabinet to pull something out, like maybe a bag of rice. And I think, oh my God, this needs a cleanup. So then I'll take everything out of the kitchen cabinet. And then I'll realize that I don't have, uh, say, cereal. So I think I better go to the supermarket and get some cereal. So I'll leave the kitchen cabinet, the kitchen counter filled with cans and stuff. And I'll go to the supermarket, I'll get some cereal, I'll come back. And he's like, oh my God, what have you done? Again, why don't you just focus on one thing? And uh, so this is for me why my meditation practice is so important. Because I get to sit as many times of the day as I need to. It's like just sit, coach, or just sit, sit, sit. And then there are moments when I kind of forget about sitting on like the uh, road runner, right? Yeah. So we're not always, I am not always so calm, tranquil. Well, that's refreshing to hear because I know a lot of our listeners can relate to your kitchen. Well, especially myself, the whole kitchen <laughs> issue, or you go upstairs to do one thing and you get distracted. Yeah. You end up cleaning up or doing yeah. laundry or whatever. So we can all relate and it's nice to know. Okay, we can all get back to that Zen place. And maybe we can kind of talk a little bit about that. Like, is there a difference between a Zen practice and meditation? Um, You're both so shaking we, your heads. Yeah. Well, there is, you know, and, and Zen practice is very interesting because it's really, it's about your whole life. It's about using, as the founder of our school, his name was Dogen, who was a guy, you know, just who lived <laughs> in the 12th, 13th century. And uh, Dogen? Yeah, Dogen, D-O-G-E-N. And he, you know, really what his felt like his most important teaching was that you can use every ingredient of your life to wake up. And so where some schools of meditation are really focused on like, oh, the meditation practice itself is the practice. But in Zen practice, we see every single moment. So when you're brushing your teeth is equal to when you're on a meditation cushion or a chair, you know, that how we're greeting each other right now and how we're sitting with each other is equally important to, so it's in, in some ways it's where many people think it's, you know, I'm going to Zen out or I'm going <laughs> to... I know we get that a lot, but actually it's being exquisitely intimate and alive with all things. So even with, you know, as you know, Chodo and I have a thing about our kitty litter situation. So like just cleaning the kit to kitty litter is equal to how we do that. And even how we, you know, have disagreements. Is yeah, so with the kitty litter, I'm much, I must be much more Zen than you then. <laughs> Because I'm the one that ends up cleaning the kitchen litter. And we have this, we have this deal. You do it in the morning and I'll do it at night. Ends up by doing it in the morning and night. Works it. Which works out well. Works out well for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the key part of it is I think that's the big difference between meditation practice and Zen. I think what you're saying is that in Zen practice, you're present to every moment. Every moment is, a, is an opportunity to wake up. So as Coach said, brushing your teeth making the breakfast, walking to work, sitting in the cushion. It's like every moment you're aware of what you're doing as opposed to some that forms of meditation, it's kind of, which is no problem at all. It's, it's a transcend, transcendental or you're focusing on a candle or something. All great, all great traditions, but that's not Zen. Zen is like right here, right now. Well, I, I love that. And I love when you said exquisitely intimate and alive with all things. Mm -hmm. And even in your book, which I want to change gears and talk about the book Untangled, I remember there was something in there where you're like standing in line at the grocery store. And I just, I love some of those examples because, you know, a lot of times when we're in line at the grocery store, maybe we're looking at our phones or whatever. And that is such a great opportunity to 
just take a moment and be present with what where you are. Maybe you're engaging with the person that's checking you out, or maybe you're just taking deep breaths, or maybe you're appreciating the food you're buying or whatever it is. So I really loved that example mm-hmm. in your book. And I'm wondering if we can talk about Untangled a little bit. Um, when you when I read about the tangle, <laughs> it really resonated with me. And you describe the tangle as all the ways we bind ourselves up in our fears, our unhelpful stories, and our self-created clouds of confusion. Can you guys talk about that tangle a little bit? Mm, I'd love to hear about that too from your book. Oh, I should read it one day. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> cheeky. So Toto is actually my strongest reader. And editor. And editor. And uh, well, I remember when I was 17 years old and I went to a retreat and it was being led by some people who ended up becoming important mentors to me, which I'm a poet named Robert Bly and a Jungian analyst named James Hillman and this meditation teacher named Jack Cornfield. And and I just remember, you know, so there I was at 17, like really hungry for connecting and learning. And he said this kind of a teaching that has stayed with me, which was the whole world is tangled in a tangle. Who will untangle this tangle? And I remember thinking, wow, you know, that is actually suggesting it's up to each of us to do that. And so to me, it's so humbling to realize that because I think it's very easy. You know, I came from a background where it would be very easy to just kind of stay in a kind of a victim mentality. And like, you know, I did experience some terrible things and they were objectively just terrible. And for a long time, I held on to kind of a a particular form of identity like that I would the world was unsafe and I was a victim and you know and the reality I think is that the world is both safe and unsafe and I was a victim and a million other things but I think for a, a time so the tangle for me was like that binding that nodding into one way of seeing myself and others. And so the part of like, oh, and then I realized when I heard that, I realized, my goodness, like if I have to stop waiting for someone else to swoop in and save the day. And I have to take responsibility for untangling, like how I'm building a story that is separating me from myself and others. It was, it broke me open. It just, just has still remember hearing those words and just like, it's almost like it shattered that kind of armor that I had, you know, created all over my body in a really important way. It was painful, which I think is important, you know, so it's not like, oh, that felt so great. It felt terrible, you know, because it's, and terrible and critical and so important. Yeah. And I felt like it was the beginning of a new life of freshness, possibility, engagement, and responsibility. Because I think in one, in some ways, that there's a big difference. I think some of us get stuck in clarity. Like we know our story. We're like, oh yeah, that's my shit or that's my stuff. (laughs) And we kind of stop there. We like, oh, you know, and we just kind of stay in a certain narrative. And I think that, you know, actually when this part of the subtitle of the book is, you know, clarity, courage, and compassion, because I think that it's not enough to stop at our clarity. We have to have the courage to meet that tangle and have the compassion, which is to feel with. So, which is actually part of how I began to feel like I was actually part of the world. So this is a very profound revelation that you had at, you said, age 17. Is that right? To be having this. Yeah. Um, like, what did you learn, like, from that moment on? Because what you're saying sounds, you know, I think a lot of people have this armor that you're talking about. A lot of people can relate. But what did you actually do? Like, what learnings did you have through your studies and practices or, you know, that profound idea that helped you really untangle 
you know, from a almost even more of a practical standpoint for our listeners? Therapy. <laughs> like I found a really amazing therapist and because I really needed to work with it because I was I and also I realized I was trying to do everything alone because I didn't feel like I could trust anybody so actually beginning to have a therapeutic relationship with someone where they can actually support and be loving and I always think it's really important to have a therapist that you feel like is loving and which is not everyone, of course. So I found a really amazing person who in many ways kept carving me open, you know, and it felt really violent and at moments and was really, really, it's maybe kind of similar to what Chodo was sharing about his story. Like, you know, it's just learning how to stay with it, even if it feels terrible. And I think that I would say practically that that might be the most important thing I learned is that I learned actually both through practicing Zen as well as therapy together was the beginning of and continues to be the most important way of learning how to be still in the midst of fear and being courageous in the midst of discomfort and for discomfort and awkwardness to not be places of turning away but of actually I think what I learned the most and continue to learn is like those are the places where I'm going to grow the most if I can learn how to bear it and what I found is that the more I learned how to bear it what seemed terrifying suddenly didn't have much power so it was more like mm -hmm. the fear itself was more the problem than anything mm -hmm. I imagined. Isn't that funny how that happens? Yeah. It's so true though. Um, and people just get, you know, like they can't move because of their fear. And it's like the you're so afraid of this thing. And then when you actually do it, it's so much better than what you thought it was going to be. Like we make all this stuff up in our heads that's not true. And um, I know that, you know, I'm wondering with your center, you know, you probably see a people, a lot, I'm stumbling over my words, you probably see a lot of people walk in, you know, just feeling lost and lonely and they don't know where to turn. So what, what, what advice or what kind of path do you kind of set a person on that walks in and is looking for help? I think one of the first things that we have to do or say to ourselves is you just got to love them. You know, whatever they're coming from, whatever they're bringing in, it's like, oh, how do you just love this person no matter what they're bringing in? And oftentimes they're bringing in, you know, their own fears, especially, you know, post-COVID, a lot of young guys, a lot of young people had two years of isolation and to think about their life. What is my life all about? So... Many of them have been coming to us because they're really lost. They don't know what actually their life is about. You know, what's my future? What do I have? You know, what's my career look like? Some folks come and they sit, you know, for two days and it's like, I'm never coming back. It's not for me. This Zen stuff is not for me. But those who do stick around are kind of like mom and dad, you know, that's uh, very caring, very loving teachers. And we actually set a really fine example of how it is to be in partnership and how it is to be in practice. You know, so many of our students just, uh, and it's imperfectly perfect. Can, and it can be, you know, it can be dangerous. Some of our students put it on kind of pedestal. You know, all of these two, these two Zen monks, you know, they're really, really great and really smart. And actually one of the first things we tell them is, do not put us on a pedestal because we're going to disappoint you over and over and over again. And when we have a one-on-one -on -one student teacher relationship, myself, for myself, what I will do is when we're in our first meeting, you know, the, the student says, I'd like you to be my teacher. I say, well, let's first of all, write a letter. Tell me why. I can look at the letter and then say, okay, you need to ask me three times, you know, write another letter, think about it. And then let's uh, sit down together and really look at what this relationship will look like. And I will often say, you know what? I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to make you angry. I'm going to make you sad. And that's what it's all about. Because I want us to have a relationship where we can both be vulnerable. It's real. I'm a great crier. And I'm not going to do this in front of a student, but I can feel it. Mm -hmm. Feel what's going on. I'm very, you know, my empathic nature is to be, wow, 
this person needs something different than this person. So this student needs something different than this student. But the grounding that's laying in is like, this is what we need to do. You need to sit on your butt because it's all here. You just have to see it. You just have to find it. It, it does sound scary to walk in, you know, a place like a Zen center and, and just think I'm going to sit, especially for someone that's used to going a hundred miles a minute and well, doing 10,000 things. The beauty of our center is that um, because we are, we're a hybrid, we have both the, the Zen practice and the care practice. So our staff model this, yeah. this warmth. You know, people walk into our center and they're like, we go, hey, what's your name? Meet so-and-so, so-and-so. Would you like some water? Would you like some tea? We have this different setup. We have like the loungy area and then we have the, the uh, Zendo area. And they immediately, they feel comfortable. You know? mm -hmm. Your name, what brings you here? And then we go from there. So there's no kind of like, oh my God, I'm walking into a Zen center. Well, a little bit, maybe. Yeah. But we, meet, they, we make them feel comfortable immediately, I think. Yeah. We do the best we can. Marty and I are thrilled to share two new products that we've both been using daily for several months and are loving the results. Do you need better nutrition, improved energy or focus, but don't know how? Well, Energy Bit Spirulina Algae Tablets are your answer. They are effortless to take and organically grown. These bits of food are 100% spirulina, which is the most nutrient dense, antioxidant rich, high protein food in the world. You just swallow or chew a few tablets each morning or whenever you are tired or hungry to improve your mitochondria, your energy, your gut health, focus, and reduce your hunger and cravings. They also replace the need for your caffeine. Energy bits are safe for the entire family and pets love them too. Maybe you want to improve your gut health, support your detoxification, or add more green nutrition into your diet. Recovery Bits Chlorella tablets are the perfect solution. Recovery Bits USDA certified chlorella tablets are bits of food that strengthen your immune system, protect you from colds or viruses, remove toxins, speed recovery from a sports injury, and add vegetables and greens to your diet. This will help ensure that you're getting your greens on a daily basis. The Recovery Bits also help you enjoy better sleep when you take them before bed. I've noticed a big improvement in my sleep I'm sleeping much more soundly, not waking up at night. And when I do wake up in the morning, I have so much energy and just feel really well rested. So if you're ready to supercharge your energy, health, and longevity, head on over to energybits.com. That's E-N-E-R-G-Y-B-I-T-S.com. Use the discount code LIVINGWELL for 20% off your entire order. You know, one thing I'm just kind of wondering too, like people that are walking in, there's a lot of people out there that are just unhappy and lonely. And I think this was really heightened during the pandemic, but we're still seeing it. There's this like this sense of belonging and love, like you said, and community. Um, you know, why do you think, why do you think that is? Well, we, you know, as the Surgeon General is talking about it, about loneliness before the pandemic of COVID-19, you know, that there was the World Health Organization announced, you know, the COVID, uh, the, sorry, the pandemic of loneliness globally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the breakdown, you know, and we're in a stage, I think, of the capitalist system which is fine, but the but we're at a stage where like the value has become more about that system than about community relationships. Mm -hmm. and so you see the breakdown, and this is even very true in places like China and Japan, and which used to be deeply collective places, right, and where people are dying alone. And just are, and are just living alone. Mm -hmm. And there was that new study that just came out this year in 2023 about that 35% of Americans identify as not having a single friend. Oh my gosh. That is 30, so high. 35. It was in 2013, it was. 17%. So it's doubled and wow. Wow. 
And so I think it's just that we have forgotten, I think, what it means to be a friend. And actually, there's a good chunk of that 35% who are actually married. Wow. And so that is a really different form of loneliness that when you're actually what it's supposed to look like, oh, I'm married and with the kids or family, and yet I don't feel like anyone knows me. And so I think about many things that we offer, which is really about how do you put your values and your actions together? So our foundations and contemplative care training, which is a nine month training for anyone who's interested in learning how to serve. Like, I feel like that there's a big draw for people who want to do things differently. And the same for our physicians and our um, contemplative medicine fellowship. They're just like this desperate need. And physicians at this time are also in a major crisis where 45% of them are thinking about leaving the profession in the next three to five years. And that affects everybody. Yeah. And so this feeling of loneliness is must be addressed and this is not anything new you know our friend Tony Lodog who is the medical director of our fellowship was seeing this with her primary care patients 20 years ago where she would ask people in their first appointments like or so tell me about who are your five people who would drop everything and this is 20 years ago and she would have people say, mm, well, she's really busy, you know, <laughs> like already people starting to not feel that people would do whatever they needed to do to show up for folks. So it's powerful. And I feel that we're doing what we can to untangle here at the Zen Center. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's amazing work you're doing. And, you know, I think that our lives in general, have just gotten so busy and everybody's just running, running, running and so wrapped up in their own stuff and their own, they have kids, their own kids or their work or whatever it is. And, you know, that, that just makes me so sad, that statistic. And when I think about it, like, I feel very lucky that I do have five people that I can think of that would drop everything for. And I, I I would do the same, but Um, I also think about if I did have to drop everything, like there would be a lot of things I would be dropping the ball on and would life go on and would it be okay? And is the most important thing that person in my life? Absolutely. But like, it's a tangle. (laughs) It's a big tangle. Right. I mean, we just had this thing this morning where, you know, you know, Jada wasn't feeling so well. So I was just like, okay, so we're going to clear the day. Turned out to feel fine. But like, you know, I was ready to just like, okay, clear it out, you know, because all of those things that are so important are they, right? Right. And yeah, there were so many things, like I have you know, a whole host of things lined up for the day. But I think it's so critical to that. How do we really understand what community means? You know, I know this there's an elder in a community that I know who was you know, needing to move into a nursing home and her one sister wanted her to move there and in Arizona or somewhere. And she's like, no, I want to stay where my community is. And I remember my grandma was the same, you know, when she got to a certain age, she wanted to stay where her community is. You know, my father wanted, you know, really well-meaning, but like wanting all like, oh, now why don't you move up to Syracuse? Or she lived in Brooklyn her, basically her whole life. And and I think that, that we forget social connection, like those relationships at the grocery store, those relationships at the beauty salon or wherever that is, where you get your mani-pedi, like those are actual things that enrich our lives. And it's not to be, and it's one of the reasons that, you know, Chara and I, we moved recently to um, be in this community here in Chelsea in Manhattan so that we could actually be closer to the center and, and like be more embedded in this community. Because it actually, even if you live in a big, busy city, there's folks that we can connect to and love. 
And there's probably a lot of people in a big city like New York that are feeling very lonely because everyone is so busy, you know, like, yeah. I'm even, oh, sorry, go ahead, Stephanie. No, I was just even thinking like, what are we all looking for? You know, I think you talk about like junk pleasure, but aren't we really looking for something more satisfying? And how can someone who's maybe feeling a little bit like can relate to this conversation? Mm. You know, what's something that we can start to do um, to be, to have a more fulfilling and satisfying life where you feel connected. And we all know that like one of the blue zone criteria, you know, the criteria is in the blue zones for living the most, sorry, I'm not speaking very clearly. The couple of countries where there are the most centenarians, one of the criteria is, do you have people? Do you have, I don't know if there's a questionnaire, if it's three or five or whatever, but do you have people close to you that are in your circle that you could call and ask anything of? Yeah. So how do we, how do we move forward? You know, this is like a, like you said, this is a global pandemic issue actually, right. With relating to loneliness. So what can one person do within, or what can you do within your own community? Yeah. I think that, I think everyone is looking for love or or communication, uh, community. Everybody wants to connect to someone else. And this this, bringing up the word fear. There's so much fear around in our society now. It's like, can I trust this person? What do they really want? What are they, what do they want to get from me? So there's this idea that uh, in some areas of friendship is not safe. Community is not safe. So it's much safer to be on my own, my little apartment, and uh, even have everything delivered. It, yeah, it's a pandemic of loneliness. And how do we see the ways to, to, to change that? And I think one of the, or many of the ways are to join community centers to come to places like this, to the Zen Center, to go out into the street, just to walk around the street. Um, there's something to be said for walking along the street in the mornings on the way to our center and saying hello to everybody as they, as they come by. Okay. Good morning, good morning. And the ones that say good morning, you know that they're having a, I hate to, to categorize, but generalize, uh, but the ones that say good morning back to you, you know they're having a full life. Or they seem to be. They're like, yeah, hi, good morning, how you doing? What about the flower beds this morning? Then there are those that just walk by or turn away. Huh. I think to myself, wow. What's that feel like? What does that feel like to just have to turn away? Where this is an opportunity for us to get to know each other in the mornings. Hey, how are you doing this morning? You know, do you really care? You know, if somebody asks you how you're doing, say, do you really want to know? Yes, I really want to know how you're doing this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's those kind of moments Again, you know, as I said a while, a few minutes ago, say, when we make someone the other, we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. I'm not that person. They're not me. I don't know who they are. They're from a different background. They're a different color. Whatever it is. Can I see every person that I interact with, that I walk by as a moment of connection that could lead to another moment, to another moment, to another moment. If I never see that person again, it's shown me what's possible for the next person to meet on the street, which I think, as we said earlier, Mm. as I said earlier, which is why it's so important when I go into Starbucks in the morning that I know everybody's name, because, you know, in Starbucks, they all have their little name tags, and I know every single one of the baristas' names. There's something really important about that for me, and I know on some level, at people level, it's very important for them too, because I see them, Mm -hmm. see who they are. And when one of them would say, I'll say, John, is not in a good mood. I'll say, John, what's going on today? You know, I came here at five, five o'clock this morning to open up, and now I've been told I have to work a double shift, and I had plans for the scene. Wow. Let me, let, me, let me talk to you about that. Let me just listen to each other. Because I'm here for you. I really want to hear what's going on for you, John. So those kind of communications. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think it's so important. And I think everybody in the world can do a better job of seeing each other and realizing that we're all human and that we're all the same, right? Like, even though we're different, we're the same. We're all from the earth. We're all. So um, I think that, you know, if you're listening to this episode, make sure to say, say hello to your neighbor when you're walking or in the grocery store you know, ask how the person that's checking you out is doing and just Mm -hmm. try and connect. Cause I think that's, you know, I think that lack of connection is really, um, really creating a lot of this loneliness. Yeah. And I think, I think that, 
I started, so let me finish. We're just already We're on the same topic. I think you know it's a, it's so interesting. I think we uh, we all experience this when you step on an elevator. Nobody's speaking to each other. Suddenly everyone's quiet. Or nowadays, which is really infuriating, they're on their cell phone. They're not with you. They're on their cell phone, still in the elevator. That so their life is so fascinating. They want to hear that I want to hear about it. It's not all so. But how we get on an elevator, um, it's just so interesting. When you say, hi, how are you doing? Like, what? You know, it's, and there, there's, there's that fear there because you're in this small space, in this small elevator, the doors are closed, and suddenly now I'm, I'm alone in an elevator with this person. If this person speaks to me, I'm going to like crap myself because... <laughs> I don't like being on the elevator with people. I have to be honest in a small oh, really? space, like in a tight oh, elevator. Cause I always think, what if it stops? Oh. Like, what if I get stuck in the elevator? Well, to me, so it likes different. That's kind of claustrophobic and fear of, you know, getting stuck. But I mean, it's not about people talking. It's, about it's people more about just being trapped in yeah. the elevator. I would say just add into this conversation, which I feel like is really super important is that one of my students you know, they came to me and said, you know, how's my practice doing? I said, so tell me about five people in your neighborhood and their names and what you know about their lives. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I said, he's like, I was asking about like, he was thinking about meditation. Zen is <laughs> no, Zen is life. Yeah. So how are you living? So I would say also, if you want to change and change the narrative of your life, so how do you get to know five people in your neighborhood? And how can you get to know their names, know some things about them and be curious about them? Mm. And it's nothing, you know, fancy. Not like you have to take them out for dinner, but just to say like, hi, what, I realize I don't know your name, you know? This morning, like there's a new attendant at the gym, Elliot, you know, I was like, how's it going, Elliot? You know, and how is your day, you know, and to actually learn how to connect. Mm. We've lost that art. We've lost the ability to to connect or, you know, just the skill, if you will. It's not something that people are comfortable with. No, because we'll send emojis now on little heart signals. How are you doing? You know, hands in prayer. We were talking about this last night. It's like, We've so gotten used to uh, communicating, communicating this way through our through our cell phones. It's like it's taken the the art of conversation yes. out of the picture. You know, it's like yeah. I do like my emojis, but yes, I totally yeah. agree. <laughs> one, but as long as they're not substitute for the conversation, right, 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 right. right. <laughs> End the conversation with your emoji, but you know, it's not. You know, somebody sends you a text, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing like that. You know, da da da, and we respond with just a smiley emoji. You know. To me, that's not communicating. That's yeah, totally. You know, and I think this is a great little challenge, the one that you gave your student, um, Koshin, about getting to know, like, names of five people in your neighborhood and something about them. And I think it's great for our kids because I don't, I see this, I have three teenagers and they don't, they use their phones too much and that's how they connect. But if I ask my daughter questions about some of her friends, she's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, you didn't ask that question. Like, it's almost like some of these kids have to relearn how, what it is to be a friend. And to get to know someone. And to get to know someone. Well, so to I, be a friend is to get to know someone. But right? I like, mean, I agree with you yeah. when I'll ask my kids about their, some of their closest friends, like, oh, what yeah. is so-and-so doing this summer? I don't right. know. What? Oh, it's not just me. No, what your friend is doing this summer. What do you guys talk about for seven hours when you're together? Like, right. Are they just on their phones and they don't even know like, oh, my friend took a vacation. Ask them how it was. I mean, this is just simple, basic stuff, right? Right. Be curious. Be curious. curious. Yes. Yes. Have a curious and open mind. Be curious about self. Be curious about the other person. How was it? What are you going to do? So one of the words that I use a lot is curious. Get curious. And so even in when they come into the first into the Zen for the first time, you know, I'm I'm afraid or I'm sad or I'm angry. Say, okay, what are you curious? What are you afraid of? Can you get curious about the fear? Can you get curious about your anger? You know, rather than just, oh, I'm angry. Okay, where's that anger coming from? What's the root of it? Can you get you may not be able to find it yeah. right away, but can you get curious about where it's coming from? 
Mm-hmm. What, what is this fear? What's behind the fear? There's always a story behind the story. Mm-hmm. And a story and a story and a story. So, so <laughs> if we do enough investigation, enough archeolo- emotional archaeology, we can get to that root of that. Where is this coming from? Yeah. So what what is like one of the most profound things that you guys have learned through you know the zen center working with people i mean i have to believe you've worked with thousands of people now like is there like something that's just so profound that you can share with our listeners death is inevitable death did you say death death is inevitable that's a very yeah. profound thing yeah yeah so many people it's it's something out, again it's something out there it's not something they ever contemplate. It's not something they ever think about until they get to a certain age and say, oh, my God, I've got 10 years left, maybe, or, or I'm going to die. They, you know, they get ill and say, wow, why is this happening to me? Well, because it's happening to you. You are dying, and, you know, unfortunately, this is the way you're doing it, you know, through illness or whatever it is. But it's scary, you know, people. So I think the most profound thing that I would say is, you, you know, you're going to die. And I want you to know that. I want you to understand that you are going to die. And then we can really put the chips on the table and, and live, begin to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so I think for me, one of the things that one woman that Chada and I work with, you know, with, when she was living, she said, you know, one thing that, you know, why don't you promise is please never hold back. So one of the things that we learned from working with people is that people's biggest regrets are their hesitation and their living in their fear. Like we've never met someone near the end of their life who was like, I'm so glad that I was so afraid and I hesitated my whole life. It's usually the most painful part is realizing like, what in the world was I so afraid of and what it what stopped me from fully participating in my life? And so she asked Chodra and I to promise, and it's actually also in the book, you know, and she said, you know, don't hold back. So when you feel connected, you know, and I think we're also not used to feeling wonderful and we're not used to feeling connected and nourished. And we often retract from that. You know, I remember actually there's a scene in Ted Lasso where that one character says to the other one, like, well, I, I'm t- this is too much for me because it feels too good. <laughs> you know, and how painful actually that is and how true that we tend to retract from what's truly nourishing, which for us is a life where we're fully participating and fully loving as much as we can. Oh, you know what? That was a great way to start to wrap up this conversation because what you said was really profound. And I truly believe that you're right. We're not used to feeling connected and loved and nourished and we don't know what it feels like. And then when we do feel that moment, it's scary. There's fear because we're not used to feeling it, you know, which we need to get to the, you know, the reverse situation. Exactly. Um, And so much of the work that you're doing will help people get there. And I, we want you to share like where people can find you, how they can connect with you. And one question I have is, do you work with like teenagers or young adults too? Or is it mainly adults? Like in your, um, just in the overall Zen Center. Young adults for sure. What's a young adult? Can Like what age would you consider a young adult? They're coming now in their 1920s. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, uh. So they can find us, right? And uh, here at zencare.org is our website. And the our books, uh, the first one, the latest one is called Untangled, Walking the Hateful Path to Clarity, Courage, and Compassion. And that's available on audio and digital and hardback. Anywhere books are sold, as well as the other book, which is called Wholehearted, Walk, uh, Slow Down, Help Out, Wake Up. And the first book that we put together was called Awake at the Bedside, Contemplative Teachings on Palliative and End-of-Life Care. And those are all available wherever books are sold. You can find us on Instagram at New York Zen Center and Chodo Robert Campbell 
and as well as Coach and Paley Ellison on Instagram. And we also have a podcast of teachings. And so it's not conversation, but there are teachings. And that is the Zen Care podcast. So lots of ways to connect and please do. And we'll link all that up in the show notes for the listeners. Great. So one thing we like to ask all of our guests as we wrap up the conversation is what does the art of living well mean to you? Connection, communication, noticing, listening, looking, watching, being fully present for Koshin and myself, and being fully present to each other in each moment. And not that, we, not that we're 100% successful, but to really begin to try to live that, to honor that, to honor our relationship, to honor our relationship to each other and to everyone else that we come across, that we come into contact with, honor our relationship, all our relationships, mm. honor and respect. And of course, there are relationships that are fractious and sometimes we just want to pull away. Honor that too. And honor that pulling away. Okay, this is the, this is the culmination, this is the end of this friendship, as it is in this for now. For now. Mm-hmm. People, you know, I, you know, I have, there are some people in my life I haven't spoken to in five years, but if, if I bump into them out on the street again, the first thing I want to do is give them a hug and say, how are we doing? How are we doing? And I've done that so many times. And all it takes is for one person to reach out and say, again, get curious. What's been happening? Mm. Or how did that happen to us? We're creating yeah. So often we're so unaware. Oh, blaming. Mm-hmm. Right. Instead of untangling, right? Untangling. <laughs> yeah. I God, I love that word. <laughs> it's my new word. Well, that's an, un- that's an untangled life, right? Where we're yeah. Yeah. with what is. Right? Yep. Yep. That's mm-hmm. beautiful. I love that. The art of living well is living an untangled life. Yes. Beautiful. Well, you guys are a beautiful couple. And for those that are watching the video, you can see like the connection that you have that then you put forth to the, for the world. So thank you for sharing all that with us today. Thank you so (laughs) much. Thank you so much. Yeah. We wish you a wonderful day. Yes. You too. Bye-bye. Not just today. May your life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.